Welcome to Nakubo in Brief, a podcast series from the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to help our listeners better understand the challenges that face the business of higher education. Our hope is that you walk away with a stronger sense of the trends, policies, legislative, and regulatory issues that may impact campuses today and in the future. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of educational tools at www.nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Nakubo in Brief. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Megan Strand, and I am very excited to be joined today by Laura Lee Edwards, who is Management Analyst for Purchasing Services at Washington State University. Hey, Laura Lee. Hey, Megan. How are you? I am doing excellent. I'm excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here as well. Universities are continually looking for ways to improve processes and decrease costs, and it turns out that you're an expert in this. So how has Washington State University approached these goals? We have been observing that the biggest obstacles to improving processes and reducing costs seems to be uh, implementing change that people buy into and also leveraging technology. We are a land-grant research institution, and I'm a little bit sad to say Say we are still operating in a very paper-based environment, uh, and our financial systems are still legacy-based. They were built in the probably late 70s, early 80s. Wow. And a couple of months ago, I kind of had this epiphany about how painful these processes must be for our departments. Um, In addition to working full-time as an analyst, I am a part-time PhD student. And I was I my research is about big data and complicating social issues. And I was talking to one of my committee members who was offering me time in his computer lab in this wonderful state-of-the-art neural network lab. And as he's describing the amazing setup that he had, I suddenly had this vision of him submitting a requisition to buy something where he had to literally type out this piece of information on, on a computer, then print out the piece of paper, physically mail the piece of paper around campus, and then walk it over to our office only to find out that he had missed six different pieces of information that we needed. So he was going to have to start all over again. It could be worse. He could have to fax it. Yeah, exactly. And (laughs) and some people do. It's it's kind of crazy. (laughs) So I realized that this was just, I, you know, he's this world premier expert in his field. And yet we have these really antiquated systems And it made me realize that on the administration side, maybe we should start striving to be vanguards in order to better support the faculty. And so I started thinking about, well, how do we do that? And I started realizing that uh, because higher education is so decentralized, it really does make the institution prone to siloing. And when silos go up, then it becomes really hard to get that buy-in on new projects and new processes. And then if you don't have everybody sitting at the table and you decide to start implementing technology to help streamline your processes, if you stack the technology on broken processes, all you do is fracture the process even more. And that actually drives up costs rather than reducing costs. So purchasing services at Washington State University sits in the finance and administration arena. And so we've decided to focus our efforts on 
breaking down the silos while also trying to get better technology in place to try to get us out of the paper-based era. Wow, it sounds like a giant undertaking. So what what would you say that you're doing to kind of break down those silos and then also build partnerships across the university? We've implemented three primary projects around this, uh, around building partnerships. Um, one is called, listen, we call them listening tours. We've set up a purchasing advisory council, and we've also established a vendor performance survey to get information back from departments about how contracts are working for them. And so I'll talk a little bit about each each of those three projects. Uh, with the listening tours, we basically sent a, a note out to all the departments saying that purchasing wanted to learn more about how departments do business with respect to procurement. And each year we pick about one or two areas that we want to focus on. And this year we're focusing on sundry vendor blankets. Basically, it's a it's an order that a department can use for a specific commodity area and they can use it with any vendor that they want. We don't really understand how departments are using these. So we figure out which departments have the majority of these blankets. And then we contact the department and we tell them we're interested in learning more about how they use these blankets. And we frame the conversation as using data as a way to start the conversations but we really kind of try to keep it informal and and try to let them kind of lead the charge in terms of what they feel comfortable sharing with us. And then we just kind of ask, ask questions from there. I have to say the first couple we did of these uh, were pretty skeptical. We said we were just there to learn, but people thought we were there to tell them, hey, you're doing it wrong. Mm. So, But as we started doing more of them and departments have really seen, no, we really are here to listen and to learn from you. We've actually started getting more people who are asking for us to come and talk to them. And we've also discovered that it has also given us the um, unintended benefit of being able to advocate with the administration better on behalf of the departments, because we can actually say, well, we've we've talked to departments and this is what they need. This is what they want. This is what's important to them. What kind of things are you hearing from from those departments as you're meeting with them? Well, so this brings me to my next point. We also, when we started doing these, we set up a couple of guiding principles, things that we assume about the people that we're going to talk to. And we assumed up front that people do the best they can with systems, information, and processes that they have at their disposal. And we also assumed that people take the path of least resistance. And what we discovered was that where on our side, we saw some really wonky things going on, right? People spending money with vendors that were like, why would you be doing that? Um, and it's, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure everyone could relate to having a moment where you see, you see an action and you're like, man, that was a really stupid thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> but when we actually went and had a conversation with the departments, what we figured out was they actually were doing the best with the systems, information and processes they'd been given. And we found that usually their behavior was driven either because they didn't have a system that allowed them to do to make a different decision or they didn't have the necessary information to know that what they were doing wasn't the best choice Mm. or the processes were just so broken. They had they they were just kind of forced outside of that system uh, entirely outside of the process just to get their work done and get things delivered so that their office could continue functioning. And so that's been really, I think that has been the most eye-opening thing to us is that we really are finding that people really do want to do the right things. It's just the some the systems, the information and the processes usually break down at some point and make it hard for them to do that. 
the and it actually has had the unintended consequence of kind of becoming our goal now is purchasing services. We've decided we want to become the path of least resistance because mm. if we can become the path of least resistance, it makes the easiest thing to do the right thing to do. It's a great philosophy. Yeah. Good mission. Yes. <laughs> and you had a you had a third thing on breaking down silos. Was that uh, yeah. So the second thing, though, actually, I have two more. So, oh, sorry. I totally just jumped right over one. That's all right. So the second thing we set up was a purchasing advisory council. And we hold them quarterly. We open them up to everyone. We actually have a listserv of about 400 people. That, and anybody can sign up at any time to get announcements. We have them for about an hour every quarter. And we devote 30 minutes to Twitter-length updates on important procurement developments. So if there are law changes that are going to impact departments, we update them on that. If we're having particular challenges with specific types of processes, we can highlight them and talk about them there. And then we also ask departments to submit items that they want us to talk about. So we're addressing things that are really inter- that the departments are really that the departments really care about. And then the other 30 minutes we devote to Q&A and we ask this kind of becomes an extension of listening tours. We ask what's working well, what issues do they have? What questions do they want to ask us? And it just becomes this open dialogue about back and forth between uh, purchasing and the department so they can kind of raise challenges that the departments are having. And we've actually been able to hash out a couple of recurring issues that have been coming up for some particular departments. It seems like one department seems to be having a problem, but then we find out, oh, no, that really is infecting more departments than we knew. They just didn't want to tell us. So it's been a great way to kind of get the the communication flowing. And who from each department is sitting or is participating in in this conversation? We get a range. We get some people who are at the very low levels of the department who are doing the day, day-to-day purchasing using a purchasing card. Mm-hmm. And then we also get area finance officers. They're at the highest level in the colleges. Uh, we're, we're divided by colleges. And so we get a whole range of everything in between there. And it's really nice to see the variety of people. And I've been pretty impressed. We've been doing this for over a year now. And the room that we we have the meeting in holds about 50 we end up with about 70 and it's standing room only at almost wow. every meeting. Wow. So and Who we knew? Actually, seriously, <laughs> we were thinking, oh, yeah, we'll get like 30, 40 people at the most. <laughs> and it's just been fantastic. And then we've actually had a couple of other departments come to ask us to clone our format because they like how well it's working for us. So, Great. And then the third thing we've been doing is setting up vendor performance surveys uh, because, like I said, we're very paper based and we're working on legacy systems. We don't have e-procurement. So we went with a low-tech solution, and we set up a website that has the contracts available to campus and how departments can access those contract pricing. When we get ready to renew a contract that's available to everyone at the university, we now send out a survey and ask them to give us feedback on what's working. People seem to like this enough that our response rate went from 33% on those surveys to about 90%. Wow. Yeah. The first contract that we did, we no one in central in the central units understood or knew that the departments were all getting charged a $40 delivery fee with a vendor. And so through the survey, we were able to figure that out because departments told us this was happening. We were able to eliminate that. And that was about 50% of the contract right there. 
Wow. So we were able to reduce the cost on that contract significantly. You talked a little bit about being Vanguard's earlier. So talk to me a little bit more about your work with technology and how does that fit into becoming Vanguard's? We realized that if we wanted buy-in on the technology, we would need to make departments our partners. And so in addition to doing all the things that I just talked about, we also started inviting them to the table when, in terms of doing process improvement projects around utilizing technology. We also had experienced an extension of that with actually actually inviting IT groups into our project improvement projects. Our associate controller here did a process improvement project around streamlining the way we pay our purchasing card transactions mm-hmm. to the bank. And at the time, IT was stretched really thin, so they couldn't send a representative to participate in the group. And what we noticed was that the business experts in the room knew how to optimize the business processes and the, the, the laws that have to be kind of um, monitored with auditing and stuff as you go through these processes. But because they didn't know the technology very well, all of their suggestions for, for streamlining were around business processes. And so there was this whole area of technology that, that could have gotten leveraged for streamlining as well. But because we didn't have IT there, we almost lost the opportunity for that for those extra wins. We had also seen the the flip side of that, where we had had technology implementations where the IT group managed the project. And because they're really great at the technical side, they did a great job at optimizing the technical capabilities of the software, but they inadvertently made the process much more laborious for the business experts because they didn't understand how the business experts were going to be using the software and what what kind of questions they would need to be answering. And so it ended up being much more difficult on the business side. So everyone needs to be in the room. Yeah, exactly. Now we're actually doing these processes where we invite departments in from the beginning and they help us build requirements up front. So we understand what their world looks like on a day-to-day basis and how they're using technology, where their shadow systems are. And we're giving them an opportunity to divest of those systems if they want. And we're not pushing them to do that, but we're giving them an opportunity. And we're noticing that a lot of departments also don't like doing extra work. So they're jumping on board in droves, which has been really great. (laughs) And and with having IT experts in the room, now we're able to kind of find that sweet spot between the technical and business optimization. This is also where it comes back to building those partnerships and doing the things like listening tours, because we need to build that trust with departments so that they can, so they feel comfortable that we are working in their best interests and we're not trying to make their lives more difficult. What's been the outcome so far, building these partnerships, leveraging technology? And where are you headed with this? I have only been at the institution for about three years. And when I first came to WSU, we didn't even have the ability to measure savings. So the fact that I can even give give you a return on an investment is a huge accomplishment in itself. And I'm very proud to say that over the three years, we've been able to measure $2.1 million of savings just from starting to have these additional conversations and leveraging technology in small ways. So and we're just getting started. So I'm excited to see what the future holds. That's fantastic. Uh, on the P-Card project that I was just talking about, I'm also really excited to say we're only about 50% of the way through the implementation of that project. And with only 50% of the solution in place, we've been able to free up half of an FTE to higher value tasks. And I'm sure other schools can really relate to having employees really kind of bogged down in the day-to-day minutia mm-hmm. of low-level tasks. And these process improvements don't just free up staff for elimination. It really frees us up to do the higher-level, the higher-valued 
tasks that we all just really kind of love doing a lot more than, you know, pushing the save button or cleaning lines of data or doing kind of the minutia work. So, and we expect that with the other 50% of the implementation, we'll be able to free up another another half full-time equivalents to, to higher valued projects, which I'm also really excited about. That's fantastic. What's been this whole timeline? Like from the, from the time you started, from the time you had the epiphany of, wow, we need to really do something about this to where you are today. What, what's been that timeline? That whole timeline has been about three years. Um, the PCAR project has been ongoing for about, I think we're a year and a half maybe into the implementation of that. And I think we'll, we're hoping to finish the rest up within the next six to 12 months. The listening tours have been something we started about two years ago. So those have been starting to, uh, we've had those going on for a little while. And we're right in the middle of actually trying to implement a contract management system as well to move us completely out of the paper-based world with respect to contracts specifically, and also hopefully getting electronic requisitions uh, through that system as well. So, and that we've, we're about two years into the project. We hope to have the system implemented within a year as well. You've been busy the last three years. Just a little bit. <laughs> Thankfully, we have a wonderful team here and everybody has been pitching in a lot. We've all been going a little bit above and beyond what what our comfort zones are. And that's really helped make a lot of these initiatives a great success. Looking back on those three years, Laura Lee, what would you say have been your biggest learnings? And what advice would you give to people who want to or are considering undertaking a similar project? The biggest lesson for me was actually realizing that people really do want to do the right thing. I think it's sometimes easy to think, oh, well, people, you know, people just are doing doing their day-to-day work, and maybe they aren't thinking about the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But realizing that people really do want to do the right thing, and that makes it a lot easier to help people do the right thing, Um, having that intent in place. And then also realizing that these solutions don't need to be super high-tech and really involved. Sometimes the the low-tech solutions are good enough and they can get traction. Then finally, that really keeping the department in mind and really taking that time to figure out what they want really also helps to lower the barriers because sometimes I, I like to call the people these people the special snowflakes. <laughs> <laughs> the people who are who have, have garnered a reputation for being um, difficult participants, they tend to want to stop progress. That I'm discovering, and I was really surprised to find this, that usually those people just want to be listened to. They want to feel like they are experts at what they do and that you are you take what they say seriously. And so finding a way to involve them in the process so they feel heard and also kind of countering them with people who really embrace change kind of helps to temper that, uh, temper the negativity and actually helps get more people on board moving forward. I would also imagine that the communication piece is really important when you're doing something like this, not only trying to engage people on the front end, but then once you're implementing changes on the back end, ensuring that those communication channels are really clear and simple. Can you talk, can you speak to that just a little bit? Because I could imagine this going totally the opposite way if you didn't have that in place. So you you must be doing something right there too. This is one of our continuing new challenges is that we are making good inroads with some departments, but we aren't getting out to enough departments. And so we feel like we've done the low have the low hanging fruit of setting up our listserv, having announcements, but clearly 400 people isn't a great representation of the university. It's a great start, but I want to see that number at 800, 1000 over the next couple of years. 
So just keeping it simple to start off with, I think is great relying on word of mouth, and then also taking every opportunity you can to get out of your office, go meet other people where they are, and just start making those connections. Get some visibility with departments, ask them to introduce you to other departments if you don't feel like you have the ability to get into those departments. And just making an effort. Well, it sounds like you, as I said, have done a lot of work over the last three years. And we really, really appreciate you sharing all of this with us today. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to share. I I really have enjoyed this. You can find out more about today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. And make sure you subscribe to Nakubo in brief in iTunes so you get the latest episodes instantly. And on behalf of Laura Lee and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Nakubo in brief. (laughs) 